today on Treasure Talks, I've got Fiona Oakes, world record marathon runner. She's got the record for the fastest female to run seven continents, fastest female to run seven continents and North Pole, and the fastest female to run all those continents and North Pole in elapsed time. Um, and also, one I didn't realize until just now, fastest marathon in a cow costume. Is that right, Fiona? <laughs> Uh, yes, fastest, uh, fastest half marathon in any animal costume. In yeah, any animal costume. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I watched your documentary, I was just saying briefly before this, um, just last week, and it was really inspirational. And you, you were breaking these records on a vegan diet and also um, you know, standing up for the cause and your animal sanctuary. But I think the thing that stood out mm. to me is just how humble you are. Um, you just get on with business and you sort of, yeah, it's just, uh, it's really inspirational from that aspect. But how does it feel with the records that you've broken? How do you feel about those now? Yeah, I mean, actually, when I did it, I, I, I did it for a reason. I never dwell on what I've done. I'm always looking towards what I'm going to do. I don't overanalyze things. I think sometimes people do that a little bit with sport. You know, um, I, I've always felt very blessed to be out there at all. So I take that as a big win. Um, looking back on it, especially with the... Um, the current situation we're in um and i started to talk a little bit more about the races i've, I've run and the places i've been um probably I, I feel a little bit more i won't say proud but blessed to have done them i mean you know sometimes i walk around and it'll suddenly come into my head and i think oh i'm i'm a world record holder that's kind of you know for for any um any kind of aspiring sports person it's kind of a little bit of a a dream you know when you when you like a kid watching the olympics or, or you know athletics on television and a world record is broken wow that's the fastest or the highest or the longest and you know it's a little bit of a ching moment for me sometimes but uh my feet are well firmly on the ground so you know i i'm i'm very i'd say I, I feel very lucky to have been able to do it very lucky to be able to have done it yeah because you would have seen so many different things and experience things that a lot of people would never be able to and and the places you've been as i said it's seven continents but um yeah. just as a little side note there as well we've got another uh little participant on here haven't we percy if anyone's oh, watched uh, if anyone's watched running for good then it's a little bit of a, a mascot isn't it he goes everywhere with you we'll talk later percy no he's, he's actually my coach <laughs> <laughs> mascot? <laughs> so my uh, my confidant um, yeah he uh, yeah he just goes everywhere with me i i just kind of like to take something like remembrance of home with me around when i go to these places and it's amazing how people really warm to him i remember like some pretty special moments first time i did marathon de sable in 2012 with some paratroopers who thought it was they were in the tent next to me who thought it was really really uh, funny to like if i went off somewhere on camp to steal percy and then hide him and kind of make me look for him and they'd sit in their tent watching where's percy gone where's percy gone <laughs> you know with the people in my tent been ripping up i don't know where your bear is let's rip the carpet up and everything but you know it's kind of an um a bit of an olive branch uh, to people because i do run um not now so much over the last couple of years but um when i've been going to places and races and i've been going very out proud as a vegan runner um people have been kind of oh you know are we gonna get a lecture are we gonna get this you know so it's kind of hey i'm, I'm just like Fiona, vegan, you know, with, with Percy Bear, and people just know me with Percy Bear now, but yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, he's kind of a friendly face in some pretty hostile places that I've been to, but yeah. Um, I, I remember one, one, I talk about stories like, 
when we went to the North Pole, Percy and I, we were coming up to the finish line. I was about to break this world record and I was at the North Pole and I, I went to get Percy out to do the big, you know, hands above the air and, and he was it frozen solid in my pocket. And then um, he dropped his hat. And um, I remember stopping and groveling about in the snow at the North Pole. 800 meters from the finish line, looking for a small teddy bear's hat. And uh, yeah, we've had some pretty ridiculous moments, surreal moments, Percy and I, but um, yeah, he's just my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love that as well. Um, stopping, especially for the hat, that's brilliant. Um, in the documentary as well, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, you, you come across so likable because you just get on with it. Was you happy with how Running For Good came out? Because it's a really good documentary. Um, was you happy? with how that turned out and how did it come about in the first place? Um, well, um, when you say I'm happy with it come about, I feel extremely honored that Keegan asked me. Uh, basically in 2013, I'd just broken the world records and an email came round from Keegan asking for funds for um, a film he was making at the time. Um, and um, conspiracy, and I, I couldn't offer any financial help. I mean, literally, I, all my money always has gone on the animals. But I said, you know, I, I, I might get a little bit of publicity. I might get a little bit of interest because of what I've done. If I can knock it onto you in any way or help in any way, I will do. And um, Keegan kind of thought, well, who is this person? He kind of looked me up, and uh, he he thought, well perhaps I should be helping her in some way, not the other way around. So when he got a little bit of downtime after what the hell, he contacted me and said, you know, um, I've been, you know, I've, I've made two films so far. I've made one about the negativity, you know, the dairy industry, and then the impact, the detrimental impact to um, eating animal products on people's health. And I want, want to now make one about positivity. And I'd like that to be about you. And I was going, oh, you know, I thought it was somebody winding me up. You know, why would anyone want to make a film about me? And um, he explained that he felt that I'd got the whole package. You know, I've been vegan so long. I've got the experience with the animals. I've, I've you know, done many things, sort of diverse things to promote veganism and showcase that you can still be doing it after five decades. Um, so when you say, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just blown away that somebody, you know, such a, a young man with such talent wanted to put himself out like that to do something for the sanctuary for me it was amazing um but when i mean who wants to look at themselves on a big screen i certainly do not so when i went to um la darling as you are um, <laughs> nice. um to, to, to the premier um rich roll was in the cinema you know he was like you know oh and he came over to me and said me and percy and said uh you know, you know, great film, you know, because he, he narrated it, um, you must be really, really proud. And I said, no, oh, no, I haven't seen it yet. He said, oh, you haven't seen it? You're here for the premiere? I said, no. I mean, I, Keegan keeps sending me like little clippets through and I keep kind of going, oh, yeah, that'd be all right. Oh, yeah, that'd be all right. Um, because I just didn't fancy watching myself. And um, Percy was well up for it. He was down the front signing autographs and everything. <laughs> He's loving it, but not, not me. So um, literally dragged me by my ponytail. I was going to sit at the back and do the old, uh, when the credits come up at the beginning do the old oh I've dropped something and then you know <laughs> yeah. like when it's over oh I found it oh damn I the film. um but he said definitely you're gonna come and sit next to me and watch it and he's like oh no it's cringeworthy and um I remember um thinking look calm it can't be that bad you're in the Sahara Desert you've got all that gear on you've got to look good and I remember just seeing this like little Quasimodo type figure limping out the desert and I remember thinking mm, you don't look good, do you? <laughs> you really don't look good when you run. And it's actually, I, I actually never, I've had a few experiences at races um, 
I remember years ago, I went to a 10K and I don't do much racing at all. When I did the, um, the funny kind of half marathon world record, I only did that because I got a couple of weeks downtime uh, from training and I thought we were moving to this place, so relocating the sanctuary up here. And I was frustrated. Is it going to go ahead? Is it not going to go ahead? So I thought, well, I really need to do something with my running. I don't want to waste this year. Oh, I'll see what will record, you know, you know, and it was relatively a soft record for me. We know training. So I went off and did that uh, because I just didn't want to waste time. But um, so I'm not heavily raced in any way, shape or form. And I remember going to a 10K local a few years ago and I'd, I'd not been on the scene much. I, I knew some people from the local running club. Well, it's not local. It's about 40 miles away, Thrift Green. And he said, you know, I thought it was you because um, you're out. A, you were out front and B, you were limping. I thought, thank you very much, you know. And um, that was the first clue that I, I do obviously limp when I run. And then when I went to um, Brighton to do the half marathon, um, no, um, Bournemouth to the half marathon last year, after the film had come out, I'm there, in, you know, warming up as best I do. I don't really do much warming up or warming down or stretching or anything, but I'm trying to look like I know what I'm doing because I'm at the front of the race, so I thought better I'm there. And some guy came over to me and said, um, hmm, are you Fiona Rhodes? And I was like, Yes. Uh, why? What have I done wrong? <laughs> and uh, I will be Fiona Rose if, I, if it's all good. But if it's something bad, I'm not going to be Fiona Rose. But he said, to, "Do you know? I thought he was you." He said, "I've seen your documentary. It's amazing." And I noticed from your running style uh, that you limp. <laughs> you know, like that. But um, yeah, so um, I, I I do struggle when I run, and I, I don't really like to look at myself doing anything. That's why I'm, I shy away a little bit from the old. Um, social media a little bit it's not it's not my first instinct coming from my generation to walk into a room and get my camera out and take a photo that'd be the last thing i thought about doing that you know so it's all a bit of a, a new world out there for me at the moment but um yeah i was just um amazingly honored to, i mean you know somebody says they want to make a film about you it's like whoa you know about your life it's it's a great honor yeah, and it was inspirational for a lot of reasons and for different people. Um, as you say, like one of the things with the vegan argument, if you want to call it that, is when when people you say I've achieved this and I'm vegan and I'm I'm doing fine and plant based, they say, well, you've been eating meat all this time, but you you were actually vegan since you were six. So just for that reason as well yeah. is is hugely inspirational. But yeah. also with um, what mm. happened to your knee, which we'll get into shortly as well, um, as well overcoming that and almost being registered disabled to breaking all these records, it's absolutely insane. <laughs> but can, can I just ask you, so where mm. have you actually, where are some of the trials that you have run? Obviously you did uh, Disabler, um, the ultramarathon as well, which we were seeing in, running for good and, and what are some of your pbs if you don't mind me asking i just wanted to mm. uh, find out more on that yeah just um well i've run 238 in a marathon yeah. um i've top 20 placed in um i've top 20 in london and berlin coming the top 10 in uh, amsterdam um i won the main start the great north run um i've got loads quite a few course records around the world um and then I, I don't really consider myself much of an ultra runner to be honest with you i fell into i fell into marathon running actually literally um but um i kind of thought i'd done what i could on the road i, I it's a very very hard ask anyone who's training doing any training let alone kind of seriously training trying to get you know 
wins and, and times and running for PBs. It's a lot of effort, a lot of hard investment for relatively, I say little reward, but um, things have kind of changed. The dynamic of why I started running and how it's panned out has completely, completely changed for me. Just to let people know, when I say I'm not a runner, I really, I feel very, very blessed to be running, but I wouldn't traditionally be certainly marathon running. I've had some bizarre experiences. I was invited by Jos Hermans to go to Amsterdam one year. It was such a great honour, and it is a juxtapose to me. I mean, I run alone. I don't have a coach. I don't do any track work. I don't have a running club. I literally just train, do my nine sessions a week. My knee is so bad that I can't run the bends of a track. I did try to go to a running club and try and get some pace in my legs, um, you know, with some competition, see if that fired me up. But I, I just couldn't, couldn't run multiple bends on a track. Um, so I'm literally running like everyone else, just grabbing a moment when I can, running alone, sort of any old gear chucked on and off I go. And then you're on a plane and at the other end you met by the manager and coach of the world's greatest runner at the time, Harley Gabrich Lassie, shipped off to an elite hotel. And like you find out, oh my goodness me, you're sending texts home, guess who's in the bedroom next to me? It is the man himself, Gabrich Lassie. So it's kind of weird. Um, and I remember I went to sign on for that race and... Um, Yoss sent me an email giving me the instructions of the sign-on. Um, as an elite runner, you don't need to bother about the Olympic Stadium or go in there. You just walk downstairs. Your bag will be ready for you with your race number, you know, like number 12 or whatever it is. And um, you just, all the stress, you'd be shipped to the start, straight onto the start line and off you go. And I remember this was my big moment and I was so proud to be going down to collect this, this race number because, you know, you're never going to, you know, placing, you know, top place in these massive races, but just to be, have the kudos of being amongst greatness and the great runners and at the technical meetings, that was like, you know, like a kid in a candy shop, wide-eyed, oh God, you know, that's the Art of Tulu, that's, you know, whoever. And um, I went down and the guy looked up from his desk and said, can I help you? And I said, yes, I'm for my race number. And he looked me up and down like, are you sure? Uh, yes. Um, he said, well, the um, sign-on is at the Olympic Stadium. And I thought, oh, I've made a big mistake. Oh, no. And I got this email out, fumbling desperately for it, like I was to get on this meeting. <laughs> oh, I've got this email from your firm. And he, and he looked at me and said, you're on the elite start. And I went, yeah. <laughs> and he, he said, oh, um, well, good luck to you. He said, if you, if you run really well, you might come in the top 15 or top, you know, dozen runners. And I came eight overall, and um, he, um, I just don't look like a marathon runner. You know, I, I, I get on the start lines. I've been, I started running to promote veganism. I got the sanctuary. I've been running that for a few years. I realized that I was not going to be able to save every animal in the world very quickly. I could save the ones that were at the sanctuary, and that was about it. And I wanted to promote positivity around veganism. I'd been vegan at that point for a, a very long time. And I thought that's the way to address this, the situation en masse globally, getting, encouraging more people to consider a plant-based diet. And um, I was pretty good at sport. I'd always been good before the surgeries. I'd done a lot of cycling. So, and I'm very, very physical based, you know, like firefighter, I'm very, very strong. But unfortunately the only sport, especially women's sport that was getting any attention at that time was marathon running because of Paula Radcliffe. 
So it's got all those adjectives attached to it. You know, this is the toughest event in the athletics calendar. You've got to be some hardcore kind of person to do it. This takes everything. This is exactly what I was trying to prove you can do as a vegan. So I thought, well, if I could just compete in and hopefully complete a marathon, it proves positive that, you know, veganism is, is, is for everyone, no matter what you want to do. It's not just not going to be prohibitive to doing anything. Um, and it kind of flew from there. Um, but after I'd done like, I, I had a really, really, really kind of weird running career in terms of the fact that um, the animal sanctuary and the animals always come first. The running is something that I do just like everyone else as an amateur, as an a hobby, probably an amateur punching way above my weight because it was this drive I had in me for the animals to do well. Um, but um, I, I had, it was a pretty hard path to follow to start with. I mean, I was like running a hundred mile a week over nine sessions, three speed sessions, hill work, you know, long runs. Uh, long midweek runs, double sessions um, three times a week. And that's a pretty hard time and energy investment just for two mornings a year. I used to select two marathons, it'd be probably London and a big autumn marathon, and go and hit them very hard to be able to just quickly in a sound bite, because nobody wanted to talk about veganism back in like 2004, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, I've come top 20 in the London Marathon. Oh, you know, it's much better than saying, you know, well, I won the Notley Park half marathon. You know what I mean? It has a lot more kudos on the CV. And um, after that, I thought, well, I've done a few years of that. Then I kind of downgraded marathons from the like the Gold Star marathons to, I thought, well, I'll go and win some marathons. I always wanted to win a marathon and, you know, breaking county championship records and stuff like that. I kind of did that for two or three years. And then, um, I'm very reluctant to say friends because people say to me, blimey, if you've got friends suggesting you do this sort of thing, what do your enemies tell you to do? But it was a guy I'd met and he said, look, Fiona, you've done really, really fast marathons. I'm never going to be able to run any quicker than I've run. Uh, I feel blessed that I've managed to hold it together to actually put together training packages that and have good conditions. Because that's, you know, like you can be as fit as you like, but if you get a problem, if you get ill, I mean, this lockdown situation we're in at the minute isn't too alien to me because uh, when I was training for the marathons, you know, when I'd done like four or five months, I really, really beasting myself. I used to think to myself sometimes, I'm not going to be able to hang on another seven weeks hitting it this hard to get to whatever marathon I was doing. Then you do the taper, then you go through all the kind of, I can't go out. Or if you're in a shop, you hear somebody sneeze, you drop your shopping and run out the door. I've done all that and living in caravans in isolation just to make sure you're well enough to go and spill your guts out, basically, in a marathon. And um, this guy, Paul, said to me, why don't you do the hardest, the toughest foot race on the planet, as it was been marketed at the moment, back in 2012, the Marathon de Sable. And that's kind of when I kind of spilled over into the, to the ultra running. And um, I kind of wing my way through ultras based on the amount of background mileage I've got. If you're running 100 mile a week, what, however you're doing it, whether you're running it slow, fast speed, you've probably got the kind of endurance to get you through those sort of races. Um, and um, I've done Marathon de Sable three times. The first time I did it, I did it with uh, two fractured toes. I'd fractured them the week before at Sanctuary or stood on them. And um, I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for, to be honest with you. I thought, mm, I've run two to eight in a marathon. I can do anything. I can fly. And I'm sure I can get across a desert with a giant backpack over a week. Just, um, 
sorry, just to paint the picture to people listening as well, this Disabler Ultra Marathon is, mm. if I'm right, 156 miles and mm. which is 251 kilometers. And yeah. and that, that takes place over a certain amount of days. Is that right? Yeah, it takes place over, well, actually seven days seven. or six days, depending on how you want to calculate it. They try, try kind of change the format. It used to be seven active kind of days, seven, six stages over seven days. And I'll explain. But now they've kind of downgraded it a little bit. And the last day um, is a charity stage. So basically what it is, is you go off to the Sahara Desert and you live in a tent with seven strangers, usually people you've never met. And um, you're allocated. You just literally probably dumped in the desert late night and you're kind of wandering around with a head torch going any room in this tent any room in that tent always keeping an eye on the finish line because you know that's going to be your tent for the week and that's how far you're gonna to have to walk to get to your tent when you finish each stage um you carry all your supplies for the whole week from day one so you've got all your food minimum 2,000 calories um that that's actually very hard 14,000 calories in a tiny little backpack is very very hard is it made any harder being vegan as well um does that um, all, well not so much back then it was i mean yeah. i uh, i couldn't source the ethically um uh, created sleeping bags and and food so uh, for instance on the first time i did it in 212 um, everybody's kind of getting acquainted in the tent and they're all whipping out these tiny little sleeping bags oh mine's Rated to minus six, then mine's rated to minus ten. Oh, mine's massive. Like, what the hell is that mother you're toting there? You know, it's some ex army surplus thing that's like weighing over a kilo and it's like only only good for about four degrees. It's like, what you got there? You know, it's taking up a 30 litre pack. The pack was nearly bigger than me. Um, and, um, you know, there, there weren't the uh, expedition foods. I mean, I pretty much heavily relied on Mar Baker bars that, uh, that time. Um, so, yes, it was harder doing it in that respect um but um so you've got this backpack you're trying to keep it down to about sort of eight kilos um you then uh, you have to carry your own water on top of that each um liter weighs another kilo uh they then come out and they measure your pack they measure you can you carry your pack and then they present you with a, a like a load of bin liners for poo bags as they are and a great big giant flare in case you get into difficulty which weighs about 10 tonne and then you toddle off back to your tent and you basically it's roughly ish a marathon just under a day with one stage being upwards of a double marathon which actually doesn't sound that bad until you factor in the pack the terrain I mean you're talking sand like it's like oh my lord I mean you know sand dunes really really difficult jebels to climb i don't mind climbing i don't mind running flat i can't descend because of my knee and it's the heat i mean it gets up 55 degrees and it's probably the only time in my life that i've ever been truly scared of dying in terms of if i don't get to a checkpoint or see someone soon i think i'm going to literally keel over with dehydration i remember that year the uh, 212 um, we did have to let our flares off. Uh, one guy collapsed and had a heart attack and he was taken to Casablanca Hospital. Um, so it is, somebody described it as the toughest, most safe thing you can probably do. Safe in terms of the fact that at any point you can say, actually, um, I don't really want to do this anymore. Can I go back to the five-star hotel which awaits in Wazza? But 
as a very competitive person, as a person that's out there doing this to promote veganism, it's the last thing I want to be doing, saying I can't do it. So um, I made the calculated, not so calculated decision to um, go out there the first year. And this is before like a lot of social media groups were like informing people and chatting people what to do. So I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for. Um, I hadn't told many people that I'd fractured my toes. I certainly hadn't told people um, at the race that I'd fractured my toes because I don't think they let me run. Um, and um, I went off out there in my shoes, which were one size too big, as they recommend, because your feet swell in the heat. But unfortunately, mine had swollen, my right foot had swollen because it got fractured toes. So I remember by the long stage, um, we were trudging along with this lovely tent. I had a lovely, they say that the, the people in the tent can make or break your race. Well, I've never had a race broken by the people in the tent. Everybody tends to come together in these races. And I've always thought it would be a really, really good idea to put all world leaders down in a situation like this and make them see that we're not that much different and make them work together to get each other through. And um, I, I said to Paul, um, the guy I was with, um, here, Paul, um, Shut your red torch on my foot and tell you what you think that is on my, my right side. And he said, well, on first analysis, Fiona, I'm no expert. I'm certainly no doctor, but it looks like the bone's sticking out of your little toe. Oh, and I went, no. oh, my. No. And, you know, it's so blooming bizarre. Normally, if somebody told you, your bone's sticking out your little toe, you go, oh, get to the doctor. The web, ain't it? All I could think about was, oh, don't let the race know. Don't tell doctors. They'll <laughs> pull me out the race. And, you know, I thought, oh, it's going to get infected. And there's a talk of like dirty water tomorrow to wade through on the, on the marathon stage and all I wanted to do was get through it and um, it's, it's a, a very very I won't say it's life-changing and a life-enhancing experience if you go out there for more than just the bucket list and the medal um, but I remember the first time I did it so I'm, 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 I've got my medal I've not finished badly I've done really really well in the marathon stage because that is my territory whether I'm hobbling or not I'm, I'm it's quite funny in those races. I know Liz Barnes and everybody said, you can always tell when we're coming up to your territory because it felt fun. I can, flat marathons are my thing. Um, but I kind of wanted to go back and do it again uh, without the fractured toes and to hit it hard because I, I, I just loved it. And I loved what it brought to me when I'd done it. And when I say that, it, I've always had a pretty a, a, a perspective on life with humility in terms of I realised how blessed I am to be born where I was and to have the things that many take for granted incumbent upon me. In, you know, water coming out of the tap. Can you imagine? I mean, what a miracle. I'm not looking whether it's Perrier or Evian or fruit flavoured. It's water and I can drink it. That is a win in itself. When you've been without, you really do realise. Um, same with food. Um, I, I'm not a person who's stressed out about food particularly. Just so long as there's some fuel there to get you through the next obstacles, that's, that's fine by me. And um, these races really are a great life enhancer and a great life leveller. Um, because, you know, um, some people, when you come home and you see these horrid reports from Yemen and Syria and all over the world, and you see people in terrible crisis who've had their homes destroyed and literally, they're literally just carrying everything on their everything they own on their back but that's not a race that's their life you really want to be able to change and do something for them and be aware that that's not something they're doing for a medal that's all they've got unless we change our idea of social justice in the western world so they are great life enhancers and i, I do love them but i wanted to go back in 2013 and because um 
it's really, really hard to get in that race, especially at the time. Um, it's a long waiting list. And because I'd effected a rescue of a lady on the first day, she sadly had to pull out. Um, they said, well, if you want to come back and hit it hard with how out the broken toes, you can come back next year, we'll give you a place. So I was going to do that. And then um, a guy had met out there, um, Mr. Ironing Board, Paul Roberts. He said, you know, you really need to be getting, if you're doing this for a reason, you've done the hottest, you've done fast races. Why don't you do the coldest? Why don't you do the polar marathons? And I'm like, ooh, you know, what, what can that be? Ping. And um, North Pole Marathon. And I thought, well, if you want to definitively prove that you're tough and as a vegan, I can do anything. Um, in my kind of childlike logic, if you come in from outside and it's cold, you go, oh, blimey, I feel like I'm in at North Pole. Or if you come in and you're tired, ooh, feel like I've run a marathon, put the two together and you actually have done that as a vegan, then it, it's, it's literally nobody can, you know, I've done it everywhere. I've been, I've been everywhere doing these races and I'm, I'm still here. I'm still surviving. I'm still thriving. Um, and I wrote about doing the North Pole Marathon the next year, but it was just prohibitively expensive for me. Um, and then the race organizer wrote to me, it was about Christmas Eve and said, you know, if you will come and do my race in April, I will give you the place. Um, because he kind of wanted a good runner out there, a good woman runner that could actually prove that it was more accessible for women to do this kind of really kind of um, extreme thing. Um, and so I, but unfortunately it ran in conjunction with Marathon de Sable. So uh, I went off and did the uh, the North Pole race and, uh, you know, I won that and I did really well in it. And, um, and then I went back to MDS in 2014 because that was going to be the year that I really, I, I'm never going to be a great ultra runner because I don't have the versatility. I don't have, the possibility of running downhill and being very very sure-footed downhill so i have to do this bizarre kind of really really quick on the flat quick up the hills and then like this on the bottom for downhill so but i wanted to see how good the best result i could get in mds and i went back there and in the first couple of stages um i was doing really really well i was like you know um placing in the stages and i thought you know this is this is brilliant but unfortunately that year one of my um tent mates a guy called Mike Julien um he was out there for a, a similar reason that I was out there in 2012 um he had um, leukemia and he was on chemotherapy and he his reason for being out there and putting himself through that was to prove that this does not have to define you and others around the world were following him and saying he was basically saying if I can do this with leukemia you can do anything do not let your illness define you and your limitations and unfortunately he was really really struggling so each to give people an idea each stage was taking me about four hours and it was taking him you know nearly cut off which was like 11 hours and he came back to the tent on day two and said you know no way can I get through it because it, tomorrow is another tough day of 30 35 40k or whatever it was but the long stage I can't be out there on my own I can't do it I just can't cope and I kind of stepped in and said, um, if you get through tomorrow and you still want to do the long stage, if no one else will mentor you round, I will. And um, he said, but you'll be chucking your race away because I can't run at your pace. I can't run. I said, look, I ain't really bothered. Uh, at the end of the day, my running is always compassion over competition. Yeah, it's great to get out there. And when people say, oh, but you've won races and you've, you, you, I've only kind of been so driven, I think, because back in the day when we started Vegan Runners in 2004, there were no other 
certainly pr promoting vegan athletes out there. So it made no sense or not as much sense to be buried in a crowd, 50,000 runners at the Berlin Marathon to, to do what I wanted to do, which was promote this, you know, this word and this message. I kind of had to be on the front line with the great runners in the elite enclosure because people were making this very obvious connection. All the good runners are in there. Oh, she must be a good runner and she's vegan. That was why I was doing it. I was the only vegan in the village. Um, so yeah, I, I stayed with Mike and another girl in our tent, Vicky, who was really, um, I think in awe of the event. She, she'd done a lot of training, very fit young lady, but she just wasn't quite prepared for what this event was. You can be as fit as you like, but mentally it's torturous and it's quite scary. And it takes you to some very, very dark places, which um, experience of life in general teaches you to come through. Um, and I think that's why older people like Marco Olmo continue to do so well in it because you're digging very, very deep. And the older you are, the deeper you've got the, pit, the pool of resource and knowledge of how far you can push yourself because it's not about speed, it's just about keeping going. And we stayed together and I, Vicky said, you were like some kind of vegan dominatrix, you know, like, come on, we're not stopping at any checkpoints. If you stop, you'll not get started again. We just went, blasted it through. Mike got through it and he, um, he went on to finish the race, which was basically, I, I wouldn't change a, a thing that I did. I did, you know, my marathon stage the next day and did really, really well in that. And um, yeah, it was, it, races aren't just about times, they're about experiences and yeah. um you know learning about yourself and these races do teach a lot about teach you a lot about yourself and then um i went back in 2017 i hadn't done any training for it keegan said you know i i can't ask you to go back and break world records and go back but is there any way we can showcase how tough your running career has been and i said well it's really got to be mds because there are other great races that I've done. I love the Atacama Crossing and, you know, the, the Four Deserts races, but they don't have the infrastructure around the race to get the, the film crew to where you need to be for the shots. Marathon de Sable is a lot bigger race, which can do that. So that's why I went back in 2017 and did it. I, did, I was doing really well. My shoes aren't flaming fall into pieces. And that, it was really funny, actually, because I was, like, thinking I'd had a... Um, we'd had a, a lot of cade lambs to hand rear that year and i remember that on the day i was supposed to be going to marathon i'll do waffle on don't i i on the day i was going career. to marathon um brian one that i've been particularly become really really attached to um i was taking him to bed with me this little lamb brian he died in my arms that night and i didn't want to go i just thought i just don't i just can't face it and i remember arriving at the camp that night um you know it's a really early start you you fly over there it's a bit of a kind of war you're just like in a maelstrom of like people who are excited and nervous and you know um a lot of kind of um not not friction in a nasty way but everybody's very very tense they know what they're expecting and they've worked and worked and worked for this and I just wanted to be alone. And um, I said to Keegan, I can't do anything. I'm just going to have to go to bed. Well, bed. I'm just going to lay on this carpet in this tent for the night and see how I feel and, tomorrow. And you had been and, ill just before that, hadn't you? Because yeah, on the I documentary, it, you, you were on yeah. antibiotics just prior to that. 
just to yeah, add to right it. Yeah, on the morning of the race, I was, I was literally, I, I think the hand rearing of the lambs, it's not in an ideal situated time of year for me to run that kind of event because I think the best training you can do for Marathon de Sable is, is very, very much slow miles. I've always got this tendency when I'm running to want to go out, right, how far have I got to run today? 20 miles, let's hack it hard and get home and do some jobs. But it's not about that. You really need to be on your feet running a long time. And I just don't have that kind of luxury um, available to me when I've got so much to do at the sanctuary. Um, so I, I, I was very, very under the weather, if you want, and I got this uh, chest infection. And um, I remember Keegan said, look, if you can just come, we'll do some filming of you. Um, and if I can just get a bit of footage in the desert, that would be fantastic. But if you're not well enough to do it, not well enough to do it. And um, I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try. And you know, I, I just got back to the desert and I just like, as much as I could lit up and I just, it's just like a feeling that overcomes you. I'm here, this is absolutely ethereal. This is monumental. It's like, it's, it's just incredible. And um, Keegan had got a very, very good driver to get him to the points needed to be. And it, it got the projected running times to be at checkpoints. And Keegan was like, oh God, she's called out. She's not, she's nowhere to be found. And I was running too fast and I finished. And he, did, he only got to the finish line to, to meet me. He said, well, where is she? She's, where is she? And like, I was, because it just, I just, I don't know. I became, I don't know. It's just like, you know, sometimes it just envelops you and you're just in that weak moment. And uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was just an amazing experience. It always is an amazing experience to be. And I think one of the main things is that you actually are able um, to let go of everything. It, in in that drains you unnecessarily the really unimportant things in life that just stress people out like their phones and all that rubbish that goes on you just hand your phone to the race organizers on the saturday and you don't look at it again until the following saturday and it's such a liberating experience stripping back all the kind of banal rubbish that you're doesn't so matter you've just got to survive a to b every day and get ready to do it the next day and um, you can concentrate on yourself and your thoughts and it allows you to become acquainted with yourself you get to know yourself so much better um, through those experiences um, and people say well what do you mean you want you know you don't it's like you know a different world and I said well let's put you like this if you're hobbling along as I do and somebody came over to you and said here, Fiona, I've got something for you. What is it? It's this massive diamond, really big. Look at it, it's massive. And you'd be looking at it and you'd be thinking, how heavy is it? <laughs> Said it's a really big one. Said, I don't want it, I don't want to have to carry it. And it's kind of bringing into perspective what really, what can I do with a massive diamond deal? I mean, it's not noticed, you know, like, you know, nothing around, isn't it? I don't want it. And it, it makes the connection for me, it's probably not for everyone, between how similar we are as a, a human race but also a connection with the animals we all really want the same things food water shelter security no pain and freedom and that's what matters to us all because we're all animals whether human animals or animals we're all the same and um as i say uh, they I, I was i was i think that that's the race that really upset me this year that i missed i was going back again this year um I'd kind of changed my running around a little bit. I'd gone back to some um, road work. I'd qualified for the elite start of the London Marathon. I'd um, 
We've got two England represents uh, for half marathon and 10K. So I was pretty fit. I got a bit of speed. And um, I was tipped to do really, really well in MDS because um, I've done as much as I can strength worse on my legs. And then the first England qualifier was cancelled the night before the race. And then the cancellations just came through. And I really, really missed Marathon de Sable. It was kind of, I don't know if any kind of people out there who run know what I mean, but it was almost like a grieving process for the time you put in, the training you put in, the effort you put in, the bag was packed, everything was literally ready to go. And there was nowhere to go. Um, so I decided to run the race here in the UK that week and it was the first week of lockdown and I actually uh, it kind of wasn't so different to actually being out there all the things that I craved from being in the desert were suddenly incumbent upon me here for instance um, I looked up at the skies and they were clear there were no planes everything was so grounded did you there do that no local traffic. that was all local to you then and you just did the same yeah. miles and sort of yeah. like was you yeah, envisioning it was, um, I, I just selected one of my old road books and um, worked to plan as much as I could for, oh, well, it's 38K today. I'll go and run 38K. I'm very, very lucky in that uh, the local um, aggregate pit said, look, if you want dunes, we've got massive dunes. Literally loads of sand dunes they've got there. So Percy and I travelled up up there and we ran in the sand. And um, I don't were know you, each gate. Were I you envisioning that being disabler then? When you was running, you was just thinking that as if you were there? A little bit, yes, actually, yeah. because... It was the, why, why do I feel this need to run these races? And, you know, the solitude, the purity of the atmosphere, um, just the pain, the suffering. I took my big backpack out. Um, it's slightly smaller now. I have tailored it down a little bit to meet requirements. It only weighs about seven kilos. Uh, but I just needed to almost close that chapter and say, you know, okay, I couldn't go to the desert and run it. But I've got those 156 miles as it was in my legs and that's, I can close it off and move on forward now. Um, so yeah, we camped out, Percy and I camped out and uh, we did our long stage and um, yeah, we, we, I, I did I had to do the long stage slightly differently because I can't afford the luxury really of um, like 10, 12 hours of running in one block because I've got to look after the animals. So I did it slightly differently. I did the first portion, 50K um, in the night. And then as the sun got up, I stopped and did the animals and then went off and did the last 34, 5K in the afternoon. And it was, yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't tough like MDS. There weren't, you know, it wasn't 55 degree heat, although it was very, very nice. It was um, beautiful weather, but it was April in the UK. It wasn't like, you know, in, in, in the, the middle of the Sahara Desert. But yeah, it was just, I just kind of needed to, have that experience to, to put it behind me, if you like. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I just feel so honored and blessed to be able to keep doing it. And I think when I started running, it was about showcasing purely, it, you know, it's, especially for young people, they don't remember a time before social media. They don't remember when you couldn't upload something. I mean, I thought I was being quite daring and extravagant if I, uh, had my photographs uh, hour developed, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, <laughs> yeah. take a photo, and, you know, it was different, completely it's different. It's changed big time, hasn't it? And, and it's intriguing that you mentioned about, it's kind of like a paradox when you're out there, you've got so much time to yourself to think, but in another sense, you, you're on survival mode. You've got to get, like you say, from A to B. There's no yeah. thinking about this and that, and um, you know, being uh, occupied by social media. So I can definitely get that as well, what you're saying with, what this brings to your life as well. 
it does it really it really enhances it and you realize what is actually important in life and it's quite funny because when i um, went out there you know uh, i think the second time um people were kind of um oh my god we can't be made to live like this for a week it's disgusting you know and then by day two people are going back to the tent and going oh it don't get any better than this because you've got a sanctuary You've yeah. got a place to lay your head and a place that you belong and others around you that are all feeling the same. And um, it's amazing how it flips very quickly from being purgatory to the only thing that matters in your life. And these people around you are your lifeline. They are what you are depending on. They are your family. They are everything to you. And um, it's it's just yeah it's it's a, it's an amazing amazing experience but um and it does make you think i think a lot of time people don't get enough time to actually think very deeply about what is important and who they are and social media although i think it's a very very good tool for assisting in the promotion of, of good things in a positive way it be, can become a very very um i, I don't know toxic environment for people to reside in all all their lives and it's very it's almost like um a lot of people have said it's almost like uh, breaking an addiction to get away from it and i i tend to not like it so much and i think it's too many people judging each other when if we all judged ourselves and we went to bed at night thinking you know I've done a pretty good job of being a very decent human being today as far as I can. I haven't hurt anyone, nothing suffered because of me. Um, I've done my best. Um, it would be a lot better, uh, yeah, a, a, a lot pleasant environment for us all to be in. Yeah, rather than looking externally. I guess in more ways than one. Like, um, although I love seeing stories like your own and, and using that as motivation, it's still, you know, what are you doing for yourself mm. and also like you say rather than judging um what what sort of look at yourself internally um one thing i wanted to ask about that with your fractured toes and things like that as well and we talked about um the start of running for good where you went from you you were ill obviously um with what happened to uh, your lamb as well and how upset and you were grieving at the time you have all these obstacles um and, and with your knee as well, like you say, is it hard sometimes to know, because you have to be so mentally strong to do these things, is it hard to know where that line is of um, when you do let off a flare in disablers or any of these marathons and or when to push through? Is that a difficult call to make? Um, yeah, I mean, I, um, I always say I don't run, uh, well, firstly, I heard Paula Radcliffe say it, strangely enough, she was talking about, uh, she was commentating on the start line of the London Marathon one year, and she said, you do not want to be walking to the start of any race, let alone a road marathon, knowing that you're injured, and I've never actually walked to the start line of any race, knowing that I am not carrying a big injury or something which is going to be very prohibitive to a running performance so I tend to not dwell on it my knee is something I've learned to manage in my own special way I know I know what I'm doing it does hurt when I run it does hurt it probably hurts more in a road marathon to be brutally honest because you're in in one cadence hopefully for the whole race and that pound 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 over two two hours 40 minutes whatever you're going to be out there is hard 
um, the, the changing up of the terrain and, and your muscle groups that you're using is probably a little bit easier in an in a off-road marathon, in the, the stopping and starting aspect of it. Oh, um, for me, um, I, I, I've, I've never packed up in a race. Um, I've never actually packed up in any training session I've ever done. I've always said that, especially now, if I don't go out and achieve what I've set out to achieve, that's probably the time to say, move on and, and do something else. Um, the line for me, I'm very, very good at managing myself. I come from a background where I don't have a Strava, I don't have a Garmin, I don't run with a pulse monitor. Um, I don't have any technology. I've got my older Trimex Ironman rolling on. It's, I can't even set it, it's that old. It's like, I have to think, oh no, we haven't gone the hour back and it's four minutes fast. I've taken an hour off and have four minutes. It's, it's really, really basic. Um, but what I have done by doing that is learn to read what's going on in here. And this is the most sophisticated, well, probably not mine, because my, you know, personal brain's in our operation, but um, <laughs> it's the most sophisticated computer known to man. Learn to use it rather than something that, if I got a, a blooming Strava or something, I'd probably be looking at it and trip over and break my leg. Um, I am very, very good at pace judging. If I know I want to run a 6.30 mile and over 10K, I can do that. I know exactly what it feels like because it's in here. It's not in a watch. It's not in anything else it's been done over lots and lots of trial and error and knowing what i'm capable of i i've always said that um i'm not some great vegan guru i've been vegan nearly five decades i i know my strong point if anything is that i know that i know very little i accept that but i always want to learn more um rather than thinking oh i know it all i've been there i don't i, I don't i'm always you know i mean i i know that and also i can embrace and accept my weaknesses rather than fretting over them um i haven't got many strengths but mental toughness is is one of my strengths um because actually everything pretty much i do i do it for the animals whether it be outside working a 13 hour day mucking out and cleaning doing what there or whether i'm out there running i am running for the animals i am running to promote in its best possible showcase veganism in a positive light now a lot of people who are new to veganism might think well that's not hard lewis hamilton no it was in the day you know you know everyone was waiting for the vegan woman to fail yeah. everyone was waiting there <laughs> tell and, me so i mean i've always known if i a lot of people didn't even know what veganism was back then as well. Um, it's only you forget how quick this movement's moved and um, progressed. Where actually, yeah. I remember when I first tried it about yeah. eight years ago, um, and then I went back to eating meat, and then I came back to being plant-based uh, five years ago. And the difference when I come back was people actually knew what mm -hmm. vegan was, a few people, and now everyone mm -hmm. seems to know. So like you say, it's, it's so much different. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, if, if, even if people aren't vegan, they might be vegan curious or they know people who are vegan. And it's like with the Vegan Runner Club, when we started it back in 2004, um, Peter and I were running for BCAC. And um, have we gone away? Oh, oh, we're back. We're yeah. back. Uh, Peter and I were running for the v v yeah, VCAC. And I've got the Elite Start on the London Marathon. So basically, I was going to be running 45 minutes ahead of main field. Um, with an opportunity to have the cameras on you why not have them on a vegan running club rather than the vegetarian running club and that's when vegan runners were started 
but it was you know i mean literally there were it, it, there was what's a vegan i mean do you eat ham do you eat thinly sized ham you know it was like you know it was like do you eat milk you know i mean it was like soya milk dairy milk. nobody knew semi skim milk nobody actually was familiar with the term and as i say very very quick to say this is before social media so the soundbite wasn't like having going and having a confrontation with someone and explaining it and then posting it on there. The only media you've got to work with was mainstream. So you had, it was, it was amazing to have the cameras on you warming up for the elite start, the London Marathon to just have this word out there at free and advertising for this word. I don't know if people are aware, but what you, you got on BBC Sorry. as well, didn't you? And didn't they ask you not to mention veganism? Because obviously back then it, it wasn't as sort of talked about and, a lot of people didn't want to be associated with wasn't it. wasn't PC to have it, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, in all the running I've done, and I've, I, you know, on, on the road, I've got some very, very big results. I mean, uh, I remember that um, I got top 20 in the London Marathon and Joe Pavey the next year got the exact, exact place in the London Marathon that I'd got. So big-ish results for somebody who's not really a runner and somebody who's not professional. No interest whatsoever. And then I did the North Pole Marathon, and uh, that seemed to spark a bit of interest in terms of um, British woman gone out to the North Pole. You know, it's a bit sexy to the BBC, if you like. And um, they rang me, you know, you know, you can, can you come up and open close BBC breakfast? I remember sitting in my mum's little cottage, that's before she lived with me. Um, you know, let's, you know, fine, we established that Percy was going to go. He was going to have um, his own hotel room going to take his mum, they're going to pay for it all. So this was like, whoa, you know. And then the researcher rang me back just about half an hour, half an hour later and said, you know, just want to ch chat through what you're going to wear, you know, your details, you know. And also we would prefer it if you didn't talk about veganism. And it was like, oh. And at that point, it was like, well, what do you do? Come on, I'm not Beyonce Knowles. I can't click my fingers and say, oh, darlings, I'll just go to ITV then. Well, it's not like that. This was you know, crumbs under the table stuff, you know, I've got an opportunity. And the only thing I thought was if I go and I can put a compelling um, case, you know, I've been to the North Pole and people might look you up and they might see that you're vegan. It might be free advertising for the animal sanctuary because they were allowing me to talk about that. Um, and then when I got there, they kind of um, said, you know, well, why on earth would you run a marathon at the North Pole? And this is before adventure races and these kind of off the wall races were that popular and i guess that i got always got the feeling that if i just said you know um i'm just an adrenaline junkie it was there and i had to conquer it you know what i mean it, it, they're like all that kind of rubbish and i thought well i can't lie this is you know i did it kind of to promote veganism i did it to celebrate um, the damn jubilee of, of the vegan society which i'm a, a honorary patron so i just spilled it out um you know and it was like she said the word oh no she said the word you know almost like you know cut it out she's swearing you know and it was like no uptake on it whatsoever and um, they were and i remember that really did um, disappoint me heavily and i got into a very very big spiral downturn and that's why i wanted to go in 2014 i went back and that's why i, I kind of thought all right i'll just run for myself i'll do mds i'll try and do well in it um because I realized that there was, and I was, I think I was at VegFest in Glasgow and I heard somebody speaking and he used the word veganophobia. And it was like there was uh, this 
didn't want to know about it. Um, I did actually have a national newspaper lined up to cover the story of the, um, the world record attempt. So when I got back with three world records rather than just one, contacted the journalist. And uh, after a, a kind of a bit of to and fro, and he said, look, I can't do the story because my editor doesn't want it. Because what you've got to understand is um, we need to generate money as a newspaper. It was just at the time, funnily enough, I saw a little bit of a documentary about this. Aldi and Lidl were trying to come from the cheap end of the supermarket branch into the kind of more luxury end, competing with Tesco and Sainsbury. And they were doing a lot of advertising for like their five bird roasts and their blooming black forest gatters or whatever they were selling. So they were paying a lot of money to advertise in newspapers. They weren't going to upset their advertisers by then doing free advertisements for veganism. And so it got dropped. Um, and indeed, um, that was the year that um, the game change was was originally mooted. James Wilkes came over just before I went to Adelaide and filmed. Um, for the game changers, but he went back to Hollywood and he couldn't engender any interest in anyone interested wanting to invest in a vegan project at that time. I think, I don't know how you feel about it, but 2016 seems to have been a very pivotal year for this for me, when it kind of just exploded, all these um, social media, in Instagram people came around. Before that, there was just no interest. It was a dirty word. So. The, it was just a basic connection we were after. Vegan runner, elite enclosure, excellence. That's yeah. that's you know uh, that's it was just people hopefully making that very very visual comparison and the opportunities you know for running through the streets of London, uh, you know basically closed roads, captive audience, no runners around you as I've always run alone. Um, it was a, just a massive marketing opportunity for something we believe in passionately but it was not easy to get that message out there at the time and then it suddenly kind of exploded and the message it was everywhere um but yeah so it's moving yeah. very very quickly yeah I, I agree as well it did seem to change around that time and then with instagram and sort of more information being out there but that's the best mm -hmm. way to do it the way you've done that mm -hmm. as well you've um you sparked people's curiosity and what how can you argue with that and then you've got the big vegan runners did you start vegan runners because i've saw that everywhere as well and i never yeah. not being a, a runner i never knew but obviously um i was interested yeah, with me and peter simpson back in back in 2004 i just got the uh, elite star we were both in the vegetarian cycling and athletics club there was no vegan runners and um for the um elite starts that people run if you're on certain races like the london marathon you go around and they literally measure every bit of wording on your vest with a piece of perfect even on your socks they will measure the lettering for are you getting a bit of free advertising? You know, you can't just walk up with like, I am a vegan and run on that start. They will ask you to remove anything that is not um, UK Athletics accredited or affiliated club, or you won't get to run at all. And um, we thought, well, 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 you know, we're promoting a vegetarian running club because it's the only kind of running organization that we can be affiliated to with any kind of resemblance of why we're out there running. But now is that point to affiliate a vegan running club so we can use this advertising that I can get on these start lines um, to promote veganism. 
and Peter did an amazing job. I mean, running clubs are not easy to affiliate at all. Peter did an amazing job in doing that, and that's when Vegan Runners got started, and then I was able to go off and, like, you know, place in the Florence Marathon and really get some serious publicity, certainly photo shoot publicity. I mean, I've, I've always had a lot of interest after races, you know, oh, vegan, vegan woman, you know, came placed in the Florence Marathon. That's, like, amazing. Um, but mainstream media... They would kind of touch on it. I mean, I remember back in 2012, the Daily Mail, you did this big article, you know, a woman runs across desert to um, promote her animal sanctuary. And mum went and bought about 50 copies at Daily Mail, the inspirational woman at year. And we, we were looking at, and that were embarrassing enough, uh, going to news agents. But, um, and you're looking at it, you're reading it. Doesn't mention the fact I'm vegan. Oh, really? They, they just, they just missed it out? Yeah, just missed it out. Oh. And a lot of people then like, kind of blame you. You didn't mention it. I did. But what you're forgetting is when you do an uh, interview with someone, it doesn't come back for you to read and then you send it. Oh, no, I don't really like that. You know, it, they take the information and they will use what they want to use and they will place it where they want to place it. And at that time, they didn't want to place veganism anywhere. And it has been a tough call to get it, get it recognised. Um, I've even had a little bit of animosity on races. Uh, not so much now, but, you know, before, you know, uh, uh, I, I never could get a coach um, because when I was running well and I wanted to kind of take it to the next level, uh, you know, people were saying, you know, you've got some potential, but, you know, you're just going to go away and stick to this weird diet, as they called it. So we're not going to invest our time in you because it's going to be, you're going to undo it all by this vegan diet, which we do not believe uh, can sustain the amount and the level of training recovery that, that you need to run as well as you want to run. Um, and um, so it has been. And one of my proudest moments was a, a lady in the running club, Charis, she actually went to a running seminar and she actually put her hand up and asked, and it was Joe Pavey, um, do you think you could run at your kind of level um, as a vegan athlete? And it was Joe Pavey who actually said, yes, look at Fiona Oak, she does it. And it was that, that to me, from somebody like her is, is I've, I, I've done my job as much as I could do in the running forum for the animals. Um, but do yeah. You think, uh, uh, do you think a lot of the stigma's gone now um, because of the performances that you've had and other athletes have proven? going I think it will always be there to a certain extent um in the old school kind of you know a, a lot of people you know I know a lot of coaches are saying oh it's a fad diet look at them in 10 years see where they are in 10 years or a, a lot of people are kind of saying is it have you noticed how everybody's jumped on the bandwagon now so I think it's got to cut the momentum's got to, and time will prove that's when as I say with me I mean I didn't set out sort of as a six-year-old almost like in some James Bond villainess type thing with Percy formulating a plan of how we can change the world you know I must be vegan now and I must have an animal sanctuary in my 20s and I must break some world records in my 30s and I was traversing deserts in my it wasn't like that um so I think that now for me I the longevity side is very important for me to say, well, you know, you can't say that because, you know, I built my muscle mass on, on plants and I continue to do it. I've never actually had a running injury. I've had injuries which have been made running difficult in terms of, you know, fractured toes in the desert. Uh, I, I, I even kind of hid it because 
I thought, oh, I bet people saying I've got brittle bones because I'm a blooming vegan or something, you know, like that, but nothing like that still. Um, and I'm very, very resilient. I mean, I'm outside seven days a week. I still do, I'm probably doing more running now than I've ever done uh, in terms of I'm using the lockdown times to get out and think and train and put some more slower, steady miles in. I still run about two hours a day on average. Um, I know for World Vegan Day, I didn't know what to do for my own personal celebration. So I decided, uh, Percy didn't want to come on that occasion, that we would set off at midnight and we would run 50 miles through the night because it was a harvest moon and it was very, very beautiful. And um, I got through the 50 miles, I got home as the sun was coming up and I went straight out and did the job. Uh, How long does that take? How long does 50 miles take? 50 miles took me about seven and a bit hours. Flipping out. <laughs> That's nuts. Um, yeah, um, so I am trying to apply some of the pace I've got to the distances. Um, but obviously it's flat terrain. I mean, it was lovely. There was no traffic on the roads. It was very, very nice. I could get on the seawall. And time just goes. When when you don't fight the running, I mean, I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I, I am not diving out of bed at half past three thinking, wow, I've just got to get out there. It's lovely and dark. Oh, and there's rain as well. Oh, I can't wait. Um, but when you don't fight it, when you embrace it and accept it, it just kind of flows over me now. And it, the benefits of it, I used to think a long midweek run was about 90 minutes to like, you know, um, an hour and 45. Now it's like a couple hours just flies by uh, because it's relative. I've, I've been on my feet for goodness knows how long so that's not not such a bad thing and the slower running doesn't tire me as much as the faster running to be honest the shorter faster efforts i mean i've never been so smashed out as i have with road marathons that can come back and bite you after five weeks um it's not so bad with the with the ultra ultra runs that i did i did hurt myself very badly in 212 i must admit because i was just in a lot of pain the whole race with the toes but normally i can recover quite quickly and i know when i did the marathon the Sobel in 214 because I didn't do much in the long stage because of Mike and, and having to be on my feet with him. I went and broke my world record. Um, I think, ah, oh, you're back. Um, I went and did my world record in, in Rio uh, again and so placed in the Rio marathon. So I wasn't tired at all. Um, and what time yeah, did you get in Rio? Because I think I saw that. Three, three, I can't remember, three, some, three, also sorry just to take you back onto the vegan uh into veganism but uh that's quite unusual that you say you was vegan from six years old so how did that come about were your family vegan or uh no, no really no. No, don't come from some like bohemian kind of rich kind of background. I was very proud to say that, you know, well, I'm not proud to say, but this is my life now. If I can do it, anyone can do it. And you can probably do it a whole lot better than I ever have. Um, I, went I went vegetarian when I was three. Simple decision. Don't want to eat meat. Don't want it, mommy. Don't want it, mommy. Love animals. Always loved animals. As a little girl, never had a dolly, never had girls' toys, little, little farm animals, like cows and things that I used to play with. And then um, when I became a little bit older, um, it was like, you know, where do we get this from? Where do we get that from? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And I was asking my mum all these questions. I said, well, I don't want these things. Fortunately, and this is back in the 1970s, I don't know how things would have turned out, but for the fact that my mum was a pianist and she, um, her piano teacher uh, was um, a vegan lady and she knew Donald Watson 
back in the 1940s and 50s who was teaching piano. So she was able to articulate to my mum in adult terms what I was going through as a child, what I was thinking and what this, this concept, this ethic was. Um, and that did help my mum, but my mum, you know, my dad was a minor, he was on strike a lot, he came from a small town in Derby, you know, Derbyshire, Chesterfield, no other role models available to us. And, and indeed, Miss Ball, my mum's teacher, um, she was at a grammar school and it was one of those schools back in the 50s where the very junior pupils had to serve the teachers their lunch. And it was always, oh God, you can give Miss Ball hers. Oh, she's weird, she's a weird lady. She, she eats funny food, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so it, I was very, very lucky. Um, it was for some kind of fate thing that my mum actually had some sort of role model or connection that, because there was absolutely no information on veganism whatsoever. I mean, no products available. And indeed, today when people ask me, you know, have you tasted this new ice cream? I've never had any ice cream. I've never had any yogurt. I've never had any of the vegan products because I've never, I, I, I've not learned to like them. So I don't feel the need for them, which is just as well because we couldn't probably afford them. But um, it's, I still eat very, very basically like I always have done. And, and, and I'm not a food fixated person. I do genuinely only eat one meal a day in the evening. My mum cooks it. Um, I, I, I don't have anything special. I really don't. I don't have any supplements. I, I don't have, I mean, I, I, in, in road marathons, I've never taken on board anything but plain water. I struggle even in the desert races to get the 2000 calories a day down me. Um, I'm not, food's a fuel. It's a fuel that allows you to go and focus on the things that are really important to you. Well, that's my way of looking at it. It's not everyone's way and it's not it's not what I'm judging and saying it should be. It's just the way that I've conducted myself and the way I've, you know, and I'm not trying to tell everybody, you know, you've got to have an animal sanctuary, you've got to be a runner, you've got to break world records. It's just like, this is what I've done, like in my creative veganism to get a message across. Now you take that mantle. All I'm trying to say is if I can achieve what I've achieved with the obstacles I've had to overcome, anyone can in whatever field you want to and there's no one vegan that's more important than the next we're all like a little community that are making a difference i don't really like the idea of like um you know don't worship kind of false idols and put people on pedestals you know realize that what each individual is doing is equally important i certainly don't do that myself i've just done my bit i've done my best and that's when i say I go to bed at night and i think to myself okay i don't want to judge anyone else i'm judging myself could i have done any more no i honestly couldn't um do i think i've done my best yes do i think i've done right yes have i hurt anyone not to my knowledge that's good enough for me um and that's all i'm trying to promote I'm not a confrontational person I don't think even if social media had been available to me I could have gone around and berated people and picked arguments with people it's all been about uh, actions speak louder than words if you believe in something go out there and prove it um, and that's what I've all I wanted to do with my running um, I hope I have done in some small way um, am I proud of anything with my running I, I think you ever look at your results and you always think mm, could have done a bit better there if I hadn't done that or I've put um proud of vegan runners and proud of every vegan runner that's out there and as vegan and runners we're all winners so when people say oh I could never win a race or I could never we're all winners because we're out there doing it we're blessed to be able to do it and for me um I can recover well enough um my speed of recovery is just like a little jack-in-the-box I, I don't need much sleep and um yeah i mean running the results are just relative to what you want to achieve and you know and, and the time you've got to invest in it 
Um, so yeah, I just I just want to encourage others really, uh, and and certainly, I didn't realise that um, I never think too much about what I haven't got. I think about what I have got. So I have got a bad knee, but actually, it's many many people out there have got far worse than me. So I can't moan, and it shaped probably the person I am. The three or four years that I was out of action as a teenager, and and it gave me a lot of time to to think, and 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 when I could get mobile again, I realised how blessed I was to be out there and, and, and a great need to be doing good for others. Um, and you, so, you, you haven't got a kneecap on the one leg and that was since, that was when you were 17, I think it said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, I was told I wouldn't be able to walk properly, um, let alone run, because running is high impact and that's what, it, it is very difficult. And also in the desert races, I was always very unsure that I wouldn't dislocate it and i do dislocate it very easily especially in icy conditions so the north pole marathon was like a bit oh i'm not sure about this um but it does it does hurt when i run uh, it probably um after about 20 miles certainly in road marathons it can impact quite harshly uh, but it stops when i stop so you know it's uh it's not a big deal to me it's it's just another obstacle to get through uh, but we've all got challenges in life and if it wasn't that it'd be something else so you know i accept it i embrace it i don't fight it anymore i don't try to to fight i i, I embrace everything I, I, any problems I, I just look for a solution now it seems like you're driven by compassion have you always been that way because even the story where um you helped that guy uh during the ultra marathon and even when you're thinking about the comforts that you're lucky enough to get is this something that mm -hmm. always drives you you compare other um people in terms of like what they go through and then that drives yeah. you on is that always been yeah. the way I mean, what, what what have we got to moan about in this country i mean people when, when people what people talk about like you know well you only eat one meal a day here yeah i only eat one meal a day but how blessed I am. I sit down, I'm now not living in a war-torn country. I'm not worried, worried about it being evicted from my home. Um, I, I know that the next meal is not going to be a, 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 an issue for me. I'm blessed. You know, the food is just an add-on, another, another blessing. It, it's, not, it's the environment and the circumstances in which I eat the food that's very important. And I appreciate, I really and truly do. I appreciate the fact that if I go out on the road and I get injured, there's a health service there for me. There's someone there to pick me up, basically. And I think that we constantly... Uh, as humans always look for more 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 uh, rather than stepping back and thinking actually I've got plenty look what some people have got or haven't got and those and it's very very important to not forget that those situations really do exist the suffering of people and animals really does exist all around the world and it's very easy to lose yourself in your own little kind of trite banalities and forget that that actually it's not really important i mean okay it might be important to you at the time but it's not really 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 important in the scheme globally of things um so yeah i do i, I don't want to see anyone or anything suffering or hurting because it's and i feel lucky that i've managed to uh, you know for the century and through my little bit of running um given hope um to even one animal or one person that's all been worth it for me it's that's what I would I would rather do with my life and centre it all just around on me, 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 me. I've got plenty, I'm sorted, you know. I've got my health. Health is wealth at the end of the day. You don't need yeah. anything. That's a great way to look at it, isn't it? I mean, we are we are all lucky and I think when you put your mind and you challenge yourself to these things, you sort of 
I don't know, you, you appreciate those comforts and then you must think, do. you know, not I've really I mean, I've really missed being able to hurt myself and punish myself <laughs> and push myself that extra bit during the lockdown, you know, in terms of the races. I've really missed that and uh, because you realise how precious it is, how fragile life is, how precious it is. I think it's brought to me, I, I know I've been out running and at the start of the lockdown, a lot of my friends in Spain were... Um, really really locked down and I used to take my camera out and, and do runs so they could kind of virtually be out there and see the world out there that that meant a lot to me um you, you do really you, you, I, I was concentrating a lot on breathing I mean a lot of this coronavirus thing is you can't people can't breathe can't breathe and yeah. how lucky we are to be able to on the seawall to stop and fill your lungs with this beautiful clear air but I mean I realize life's not perfect I think that's what a lot of people fail to see life is not perfect but there are, can be perfect moments within life it's your responsibility or, or no say responsibility it, it, if you can learn to recognize that and recognize those perfect moments and enjoy them that's about as good as the game's ever going to get yeah and I guess what... I guess you're responsible for your own mindset aren't you at least mm. and then yeah. that's that sort of creates a perspective and mm. Um, I guess that's what we got through that. So yeah, that makes sense for sure. Mm. Do, with, with the breathing that you just mentioned, do you do anything in particular whilst running when you concentrate on certain breath work or anything you do at home with that or no, nothing in particular? I don't do anything particularly with, with my running at all. I just go out and run. And uh, I, don't, I don't stress it too much at all. I, I do my speed work uh, or snail speed as we call it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't fixate on my running. I just run hard. I know when I'm giving 100%. I'm not going to lie to myself. I'm never going to say, oh, yeah, I, I literally, I, you know, I, I am a very hard taskmaster. Not with anyone else, but with myself. I, I know how to beast it out myself. I know where I should be, what I should be doing. And if I'm not doing it, then I shouldn't be doing it at all. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste my time giving 90% to anything. I'll give 100%. And um, that's just the way I, I do it. I don't need anyone to motivate me. I've got the animals. I've got the cause. I've got the reason I'm out there. I've got the belief. Um, I don't need anything more. I don't need a coach. I don't need somebody shouting at me. I don't need somebody guilt tripping me. And I can guilt trip myself to get what I want out of myself. And I'm proud. I am proud I've done it. I've been doing it all, you know, over the years, very, very honestly, uh, just through hard graft training, no talent, uh, no ability, a disability, but a very good reason. I'm just ashamed of the reason that I've had to do it in terms of that there's been so much suffering in the world but i'm hoping now that obviously a lot of social justice campaigns um veganism climate awareness that we might be taking that new leap forward into a different sort of mental awareness um certainly in, in the first world of, of what we've done to the planet and how we can start thinking about making it better and the, the most important thing the easiest thing to buy time to make big change with like fossil fuels is just very simply to change diet that's always been you know a, a win for yourself it's a win for other people on planet, a win for the climate a win for the animals and it's very very easy and i admit you know that when i was saying you know, i don't care if i eat beans and potatoes for the rest of my life veganism is the way forward now it's not people are not being asked to do that you know there's very very lovely foods available for everyone to enjoy it's not exclusive in terms of other family members um and so and i always say i think of it as veganism as the diet of peace because um obviously it's something that's not allergy but there's not any religion that you couldn't invite to your table and sit down and not have to ask is this all right for you now because you know it's a very peaceful diet and it's all right for everyone 
um, and it's certainly all right to be animals. And in the core of it all, that's where it lies for me. I mean, okay, I didn't realise that I was still going to be chugging away and knocking out the qualifiers for London on the elite start, but actually it just matters about the animals and that if they're not suffering, I'm not suffering, whatever I'm doing. Yeah, and you've got an animal sanctuary, and how many animals have you got? Over 400 is mm -hmm. what I read. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. we've got lots of animals. So, yeah, I've got lots of cattle, the horses. So, so when you're not running, you're hard at work the there. <laughs> What's a day in the life yeah. for you? Like, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's a day in the life look like for you? Well, I get up at half past three. I've got mucking out to do a lot of things that people don't think about. Obviously, animal care, mucking out, feed, all that sort of thing. But everything behind that, getting everything to where it needs to be for the animals, the ordering, the vets, the farriers. I have a vet in once a week, uh, farrier in once a week. That's all day. Checking feet, checking teeth, checking everything. Um, and fitting in, running where I can. Uh, and at one point, firefighting too a retained firefighter on call so jetting off like in the pink panther nighty down to the fire station tucking it in and winning four hours manning the ground monitor at some uh, some fire so it's a pretty hectic life but somebody asked me you know you know what what causes your problems you're like supercharged when i don't live at this pace they've had any downtime that's when i start to think feel unwell I, I i like to live at a supercharged pace and i always have and i've been getting up at that time for like 25 years suits me now just to get the work done so it's my thinking time and I think it's I'm very very blessed to see the sunrise because it's like another day it's like having your eyes opened into into the world and looking around and thinking how beautiful this world is and how blessed we are to have it and we shouldn't be damaging it and we should be securing it for future generations um, so yeah um, whatever comes at me in a day I will deal with and if the running if anything did have to go it would obviously be the running that's not not essential the animal work is the essential work and that's what always gets done I completely forgot as well that you're a firefighter so you've got you're waking up at half three what time are you usually going to bed then how long is that that day because I'm guessing that sometimes you're out on the night um as a firefighter as well yeah, well, um, nights used to be when uh, you're on the run and it's easier on the run uh, at night because the animals don't need you. Um, but yeah, I mean, at 10 o'clock, bed. And then you up know, at half, half three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that's, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's every day. It's what I do. It's just what I do. It's, it suits me. Everyone's different. Percy is certainly, he gets up about what time? Midday. Eats <laughs> he has a sweets, lion. Goes back to bed. He, he my nutrition. He tests all the sweets that come in, and he gets a lot of sweets coming in. Trust me. <laughs> and uh, he tests them all. Sits in my back shouting things like encouragement, like "Are we there yet? <laughs> Can you go any faster?" And um, that's what he does. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do it. You know, really, I've got this. I, I'm lucky that I've still got this bigger for life. Um, and I think the vigor for life is not particularly my life, but everyone else's nice. uh, and the animals. That's what I'm, you know. And yeah, it's great. It's infectious as well. And um, to see, you know, to to the things you've achieved, and there's no excuses. There's no nonsense. It's getting on with it. And I, I kind of find it refreshing as well that you, you know, you're talking about the watch and technology, and you're just like, I'll do it 
up here, the most sophisticated sort of technology we can use, our head. But it's refreshing to see because, you know, got so much technology mm. and things like that. Um, mm. I wanted to ask you a few questions. I know we talked about your training, but just mm. how you prepared for the world records, what you did at home, because I've just got into running and I know a lot more people have. I only do it, you know, once or twice a week, but it's something I didn't really do before. And I know a lot more people mm. will be doing it during lockdown. So just wondering, mm. I just wanted an insight into your training, preparing for the, those world records and um, the amount of miles that you put in each week, that kind of thing. Well, I was doing them week in, week out. So I was literally having to run like about, about a three-hour marathon every week on a Sunday and travel as well. So I didn't really do much in between. Um, I've... I, I trained very hard when it, on road marathons. I never used to run my Sunday runs much slower than I'd hoped to run my actual race. You don't train hard, you won't race hard. All I was doing really is substituting the hard training, the tape period, with allowing the recovery to come in so I got that extra boost. Um, during the uh, world records, didn't do anything. I literally had to go to Australia. I mean, I went to Australia and was there less than 24 hours. I had to place in the marathon, come home, do the jobs and then go to Africa the next week and do the same thing again. Um, so there was a lot of traveling involved as well as jet. I never had time to get jet lag or on plane coming home. I didn't know I'd been. Um, in fact, in Australia, he's asking me, you know, customs, have you got your bags? I said, I haven't got any bags. Well, what are you doing here then? I said, I'm going home tomorrow. He said, you've come to, you've come to, you've come to Australia from the UK on a day trip. I said, basically, yes. And then I realized, oh my God, I know what he thinks I'm up to. So. I've got a good reason for being here. What's that? I'm running a marathon in the morning. It said, make your way through. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, if I'm training, if I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that next year either marathon the Sable four deserts or I get a good spot in a road marathon. It's 100 mile a week. Um, I run Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. I do 10 800s, uh, t um, t uh, what, uh, six one mile pushers and 2400 metres. A lunchtime or morning and then I'll do about mm, 10 12 mile in the evening on sun on Wednesday I'll do um, a midweek look longer run steady about mm, hour and a half two hours hill work 13 miles with good hills on Friday and um, anything between 22 and 28 miles on a Sunday that you, basically that's week in week out probably about 14 week marathon training program then a three-week taper uh, take a third off take a third off and then do very little in the week before the race that gets you to, and I, I know what time I'm going to run in a marathon. If I'm not ill, if weather's not really snowing or something, I know it's just like taking money to the bank every week and then withdrawing it on the day. You know where you should be at. It's it's not going to be like, oh, Bobby, me, I thought we were on for a four hour and I ran 250. It's not going to happen for me. I know where I'm at. I know what I'm going to be able to do. And I know that I've got to work hard to do it. I'm a high mileage runner. I've no talent. And, you know, a, you know the flamboyant when you've been around flamboyant talent you know what flamboyant talent is and i ain't got any um so it's graft um and everybody's you know everybody's got their way of achieving mine is through sheer grit um and you know i think it's the same with a lot of people but you, you know the, the height you can achieve you know if you just work very very hard very sustained i don't race a lot i think a lot of people you know do run for different reasons but i think if you actually look into to run a, your best time in a marathon probably don't race so much uh, because every race if you if you want to achieve in it you're gonna have to taper for it and and uh, rest after it recover after it even a 5k so i was on a slow gradient up 
uphill gradient with my running. I didn't want to break from the training. I just wanted to, just to see how fast I could run a 5K. I got a pretty much good idea of how fast I could run a 5K. But in the middle of a marathon training program, it's never going to be your best 5K anyway. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's just how I train. And it's worked for me. Or it's worked to a certain extent. Oh, I think the video's gone off. Oh, there you go. I can see you. Perfect. Yeah, I, I make you laugh now. I um, my phone died, like, but I've got it on charge. But it's so bad, my phone that I have to kind of hold the charging device and push it against itself. To go oh <laughs> no! You, yeah, you've so got the I same problem as me. Yeah, it, iPhones are rubbish. I mean, I had a better one, and then it went all funny, and um, it's just kind of lost the whole phone. It needs to be turned off and it can't be turned off and it's got to be programmed from within and it's like oh you know so i went back to this old iphone 6 so you know um it's probably worth a lot of money it's probably like an antique you know <laughs> but, um, I'm, I'm here now so it's okay thanks yeah to be fair i've got this i've got a samsung like a newer one and i it drives me nuts i sit there and i'm trying to connect it for about you know, 15 minutes before it will say it's charging. And then once I do it, I have to just say, no one come around by this phone. Because <laughs> if it gets nuts, it would just stay off. Exactly, that's why I'm like, don't touch that phone. Yeah, don't, don't even go by there. Yeah, and um, the thing is, so now you can see, you, you can buy into the beauty of Marison Basar, but you don't get back to your tent at now. And that's what actually really make, makes me laugh about people when they're there and they're carrying like phone chargers. And back yeah. on the backpack, trying to get connection. I'm thinking, what are you doing? It's all about being away from that sort of thing. And you brought it with you. Um, but um, yeah, so it was uh, <laughs> it's very liberating to be away from it all. Yeah, you know what? I, I really want to do that myself at some point. I, I'm trying to think whether it will be through sport or something like that. But just to get a bit of time away from the devices, because it does get a bit too much, doesn't it? It, it is too much. And it gets quite... Um, demanding in terms of like people i'm not, i don't really actually get that much time for it i i don't like it around me when i'm with the animals because it's very distracting and you've really got to have your finger on the pulse i mean i've got a massive herd of highland cattle and if i'm in with them i mean some of the uh, the span of their horns is probably seven or eight feet on the bigger guys and you've got to be careful because you're going to get injured and um I, I, you know, injuries are something to be avoided. It's not till you actually stub your toe or cut your finger that you realise everything needs to be in full working order or else life becomes very, very tricky. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and true, actually. When you pull it like that, it shows that you, if you've got your phone with you, you're probably not 100% on what, whatever else you're doing, are you? Um, no, you're not. Na naturally. No, it's, uh, it's not a good place to be. So I don't because i'll take more photos of the animals but like you know stopping getting your camera out it's not you know i'm really in the middle of it all and uh it's uh yeah it's it's quite it's quite challenging for people to understand let's put it like that yeah. but when people are out running i i never understood how people get such good photos of themselves when they're out running and where they're exercising and it wasn't till i was name dropping here now darling in um, <laughs> in hollywood I went to this big uh, Switch for Goods seminar and there's all the good and the great there. We've got Richard Well, we've got Nimai Delgado, we've got everybody there, Patrick, everybody there. And there's this um, workshops on, on um, various things that we're all invited to attend. And it wasn't exactly called this, but it was basically how to get good on Instagram. So me and Christine Vargas like, we're in on that because we just don't know how to turn it on, let alone get good on it. And um, 
I kind of put my hand up tentatively and said, how is it that everyone always looks so glamorous? Like, yeah, I always look like I've been dragged through edge backwards and like attacked by a gorilla when I'm like training. And the woman, she was from um, a company called Tiny Horse and they do um, Strictly Come Dancing promotions and stuff in America. She said, oh, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. So what do you mean I'm doing it wrong? And she said, well, what you need to do is get some stock photographs for the, you know, like what's what the good and the great do should work for the Kardashians. And they um, have a weekend uh, dressing up and having makeup put on or whatever. And they take some photographs of them looking glamorous, doing various things. And then as the month progresses and they say they're doing glamorous things, they release the photograph. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking... That's cheating, but you know, and I think that that's um, something very, very important actually. And another message with social media it's a good tool, a good servant, but a poor master. In terms of, I don't think it's right to put false images out there, so I don't think it's right, you know, especially when there's a lot of uh, impressionable people, um, vulnerable people, um, looking at it to kind of say this is the way you should look with enhancing pictures and stuff like if that's the way you look when you're done in 800 meters just be fessed up that's the way you look and I think it's quite refreshing to have things that aren't continually enhanced and altered yeah visually just so it looks nice um I remember being uh, with one very very um pro prominent um Instagram person color saying I say here how is it that like you you're um news feed is full of all these blooming amazing looking food creations you must spend all day in kitchen now do you get any time to be in gym you know uh, you know bodybuilder he said oh i don't really eat that sort of stuff it's not like what i eat all the day it's just what you put on there to because it, it looks a lot more appetizing than probably what you are eating and i'm thinking Oh, all right. <laughs> um but i i'm i'm, I'm all for keeping it real um yeah, and we're, we're craving that now anyway. I think a lot of people, like, even this, like a long form sort of conversation and it's it's a real conversation. And um, I think a lot of people are craving that on the internet now is seeing people for what it really is. I, I was just about to say, actually, I'm trying to do a bit more, a few more recordings and video, get into like the video editing and stuff like that, which I'm not great at at the minute, but I'm practicing and I'm trying to do it around the challenges that I'm doing. So my challenge at the minute is to do um, my fastest mile. And like yeah. I said, I'm not, I'm not a runner. I've not, um, only, I used to run every now and then just for fun, just to clear my mind, just half an hour go and run and I'd, I'd do other exercise. Mm. Um, I was trying to record some of this stuff and it is so difficult because I need to, yeah. I, I went to try and record some of the other day and it almost took away from my training. So it's mm. like, you know, I need yeah. to make sure I'm training. Um, well, to be honest with you, I mean, that's a bit where I am. For instance, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, I do everything myself, all right? I, I don't like to bang on, I've got no money. It's like, I'm like I'm, I've got some sort of begging bowl out there, but, I, you know, I'm limited with, you know, what I can do time and money-wise. And um, I am genuinely working on a rubbish little iPhone. It wouldn't seem right to me to have loads and loads of technology because I need money for animals. But long and short of it is... Um, uh, Gemma Collins wanted to come and film some turkeys at the sanctuary and I said you know okay and um, her film crew came up and it was like it was like a cavalcade of like I have never seen so many exclusive cars you know Mercedes, BMWs, Range Rovers, Audis coming up and all the film crews spilling out and um, 
filming went well and everything. And then they said, can you do some extra filming um, on like a, get someone to film you or, well, I've only got my parents really and that, you know, especially now in this current lockdown situation and, um, or on a selfie mode. And we would like you to film with the turkeys. And I thought, do you know how hard it is to stage uh, kind of doing a filming with animals in the background and say something to camera that's totally unrecorded? It's really, really hard. You know yeah. what I mean? Unless you've got like, and I didn't truly realize how many of these people who are prominent, how much entourage they've got. Yeah. to achieve this and then they kind of expect you to have it all and you're like no you've got an iphone and the screen's all gone it's all fractured and uh, you know what i mean it's, it's really stiff competition when you really yeah you are really honest you know and you're expected to kind of look a certain way and you're thinking crikey you know i mean all makeup and all that business i haven't got any and i wouldn't want to do it i look like a clown um and um a lot goes into it doesn't it like you you think yeah. there's some people make it seem like it's just like a casual sort of photo do during a challenge but a lot goes beyond some of it and i think although like the people doing that are responsible if you think about web like instagram in a way is like a bit more dynamic but it's like a website mm -hmm. i think there's responsibility for us as well for what we see we need to know that what we're looking at isn't um real life as well so responsibility on yeah, both sides it's even these reality programs, uh, you know, when they, they pull up in a car and they, hello, and you know, you're still meeting somebody for the first time. You've probably done it about 30 times, 30 takes of that, you know, it's not like what you see. And so I know I look a mess in everything I do, but they probably would look a mess if you just rolled up and did it first time, you know, and uh, I, I just don't have time. To, like, I'm, I'm a bit of an Elvis Presley type, one take. That's the best way. It's become, but it has become very, very big business and uh, the social media side of things. And I, like you, think that there is a certain element of people, certainly, that are craving reality. You know, yeah. getting back to what is real. I think people are becoming a little bit lost in this fantasy world, um, phone fantasy, if you like, and forgetting what is actually real and what is possible. Um, and that's what I'm quite proud of in my humble achievements is that I have done it and it has been real and it has been possible and there have been no frills and it's a bit embarrassing for me because people will say to me and how do we find you on social media and I can't uh, that was just going to be a question of mine soon as well <laughs> I've got a little let me have a look for you I've, I've got it in front I start kind of reading it off. At, on Instagram, you can be finding me at, you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't do it so much. And, um, but, um, just, in fact, I, I rang up a radio show, it's James O'Brien actually, and uh, he was talking about sport and I got so incensed. It wasn't about veganism, it was about something else. And I rang up and I said, um, uh, talk, commenting on the, a lot of drugs in sport certainly i've been around a lot of drugs in sport uh, i've been around a lot of inappropriate behavior from coaches in sport i've seen and um, i rang him up and i think he said i said my name's fiona and i'm talking about marathon running he said and then he chimes up um, oh my gosh you're fiona Oates, the marathon runner and you're vegan aren't you I, was like, uh. <laughs> I said how do you know and he said, I googled you so he said, I just Google Fiona and Marathon and you came up. So I just tell, I'll just Google Fiona and Marathon and I'll come up somewhere along the line. Probably not. Um, but um, yeah, it's personal promotion has not been, not 
probably been my forte it probably never will and it's something i'm probably not ashamed of but it is tough i mean it has, as i say it is tough too it's, it's another it's another element of the inspiration that you've offered though in terms of keeping it real and show you know just getting on with it and not not worrying so much on that aspect of things anyway so i think it's like yeah, a good thing I'm yeah, I mean, I think in, in the last thing you want is these kind of diva people. I, I, I in very, very much of a, a kind of serious way. I think that because I've been uh, vegan for a very, very long time, and the reason that the running, actually, some of the results that I've got, especially with the disability, I mean, I've got UK Athletics want, want me to work with them. There was a, a government initiative to encourage women into sport purely on my running ability, not on anything about the veganism or anything about that. The running results are probably something that I should be um, relatively proud of on a standalone basis. But um, to me, to be kind of deaverish about any sort of celebrity attached to it's purely being vegan, I think sometimes people actually lose the plot of why they've got the celebrity. And in essence, promoting veganism is promoting the abolition of animal um exploitation and so it's a little bit it's very hard very kind of i don't know serious thing to say but it's almost like bathing in the blood of the animals because you forget why you actually achieved this notoriety because animals are suffering and dying uh, that's that's why you're getting the attention so i don't really enjoy that side of things very much um you know um we should all keep our feet on the ground and remember why we are doing what we're doing um it's it just doesn't sit very nicely with me. So, and I, I, I genuinely, for me, you know, I, I've done my bit. I've done what I can, where I can. I tried very hard. Um, but, you know, the animals are still suffering. Uh, climate's still accelerating out of control. People are still suffering. A lot of fighting in the world. You wake up every day and you, you see such atrocities that are beyond my comprehension. And... Um, yeah, you remember that actually you haven't done that much. <laughs> um, there's a lot more I'd like to do, but um, you know, we can only do what we can do. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you're saying that as well, um, yeah, you seem to do so much and fit so much into one day. Um, going back to the challenge I was talking about as well, I know you run obviously the long distances, so you're not so much um, obsessing over just like, obviously the overall mile pace will uh, get better. But have you got any advice for me in terms of just trying to get a better pace on my mile? I'm, I'm still a beginner runner and I just want to try and do a bit of training around the next few weeks where I'm thinking of, I just want to get that one mile pace quicker. And yeah, just the one mile really. So you want to be able to run a mile quicker? Just, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's just a challenge I'm doing. Um, I did a recent challenge where I just ran a marathon on the balcony to see where my head would go. And I've never done a marathon before. I thought with the lockdown and people not being able to do much. Um, I tried that, but this one is just seeing if I can get what I can do with uh, a bit of practice in that. Well, I always relate any distance. Um, a short distance to an ultra distance runner is a marathon and in terms of that's what i've found and the way to improve pace in any any distance is to run shorter distances than the distance you're looking at quicker yeah multiple times and always paying attention to the recovery in between it's not just about the pace that you're running it's about dropping the recovery as well 
So if I'm going to apply this to uh, Yasu training, 10, 800 meters, why people have said, well, why do you focus? You do 10, 800 meter pushes for Yasu, do six one mile pushes and 2,400 meter pushes. That's what I do for speed work for a marathon. And the principle is always that if you can run at that pace for 400 meters, when you drop down to a slower pace over a marathon, the pace is comfortable, so the distance kicks in. So for something like a mile, I would say, uh, if you were to say you were gonna do 200 meter pushes, run as fast as you can, absolute flat out, couldn't do another thing for yeah. 200 then do 200 meters of recovery, slow. And then 200 meters again, and then back slow. And say if you did that eight times, you'd have a mile at a 200 meter pace, but you'd have these joins in the middle of, of the slow stuff, yeah? Do you see what I mean, the, the, the recovery yeah. stuff? So in all, you would have run two miles, but half of that would have been slow. Always trying to drive, so, I don't know what, what pace you'd run 200 meters in. Say if you did it in, I don't know, 60 seconds, I don't know. Yeah. And then 60 seconds off. And then 60, six, well, you wouldn't want to, say two minutes off. So you halved it and did, did 200 meters slow. So you did 60 seconds and then two minutes recovery, then another 60 seconds, all dropping the recovery rate every time you did it so you took 10 minutes 10 seconds off your recovery 10 seconds off your recovery because you're not forced to be able to run a lot quicker every time but the, the time it takes you to recover from that could shorten and so if you've done that you've got the endurance of a mile in your legs but you've got the speed of 200 meters so then when you come back to running one mile solid you should be able to run it quicker uh, not at the 200 meter pace, but so there is an equation, if I can make it clearer, for Yasu, they say, if you can run 10, 800 meters, and each 800 meters is run at two minutes 40 pace, that should roughly equate to how fast you can run a marathon, two hours 40, if you see what I mean. Oh, uh, so, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's just about if you can run 200 meters at 20 kilometers an hour, yeah, you should be able to sustain 1600 meters at 16 kilometers an hour. So 10 mile an hour, because it's, it's, it's going to feel a lot slower to you, but you're going to be on your feet a little bit longer. But you've actually, in a way, got that feeling of the, the length of time because you've been doing it with the recoveries in between. And if you can drop your recoveries to say 60 seconds on, 60 seconds off, 60 seconds on, 60 seconds off, at, at, at say 20 kilometers an hour, then you're as hell going to be able to run a mile at 16 or 15 or whatever you want to run it at. And that's, it's the same for any distance, really. Uh, it's like I said to you, when I go out and now, and I think, oh, two, if I'd told me you've got a two hour run, I'd have needed oxygen before, before I went. You know, um, now it's just like, oh, two hours, it's not long. And it actually doesn't seem that long. It's just like, you know, so because it's relatively slow and it's not, you know, and that's how the same kind of thing works. But you need to do speed work. Okay. A lot of people say to me about marathons, oh, I've been increasing my mileage. I said, not being funny. You will get better because you will get fitter, but you won't get a lot faster. You've got to do speed work. It's very painful 
to me especially i don't like doing it at all but you have to do it and if you're doing speed work to its maximum you're gonna feel sick you're gonna feel dizzy you're gonna feel dread it because it's hard and you're going to push yourself that extra little bit out of yourself um and so when you come back to the distance you actually want to run it's it's further but it's not as fast so it feels relatively easy but you can't expect to run a marathon at the same pace you'd run 200 meters well you might do if you're just like jogging about you might you might do that i don't know but it, it's all about dropping the um intensity to compensate for the mileage and it's the same over a, a mile so if you if say you were doing on a treadmill just put in you know 200 meters at, as fast as you can run then you need a recovery then as fast as you can run and faster you can run and when you come back to like i don't know what pace you're at 14 kilometers now whatever it will seem relatively easy you'll be able to keep it going not as fast but for longer really appreciate that advice because and it makes me feel sick thinking of it i can just imagine that it's going to be hard work like you say because you're really pushing it and then i guess i'm going to know i'm going to understand that pace a little bit better when it comes to running the whole mile because you have to yeah feel i mean it, to be honest with you i've i'm no special runner i'm no special anything but i i have literally i worked so hard with my running i i used to not even know what day it was i just used to know it was the dreaded 10 800s at lunchtime and a, a run in the evening and even a 10 mile run in the evening would seem hard every session was always hard because although it was only 10 miles i was tired yeah. and that's what it's about fight you can't train a marathon every day but you can train find ways of training your body to kind of go through that mental or physical fatigue of a marathon every session and i used to I get on the treadmill because I do all my training on a treadmill for speed. In my defence, it doesn't lie to you. It's the same treadmill. I've got a big techno gym run race. So you can't kid yourself on there. It's not going to say, oh, actually, I'll just say you're running a bit quicker than you are. It's running, you're coming off the back if you're not hanging the pace. And I've just wondered how the hell I'm going to stay alive doing it. I've just thought that's number one. I've got nine more. Yeah. Oh, why not going in? Why am I? Why am I not just like not, and you don't, and it, um, but it is hard. I mean, some people might love it and they might think, oh, I love it. I can't stand the long run. It's individual. But for me, I, you know, I've, I've, I've suffered and struggled for what I've got in terms of it's not been easy for me, but you know, I, I've had a, a very, very great faith and belief that it is making a difference somewhere along the line. And what has been hard is that until the sudden explosion with veganism, et cetera, you know, it's, it's been just literally acting on faith because there hasn't been any kind of um, great interest in what I've been doing, but I've been slowly putting together this CV that now veganism has risen to the, to the kind of forefront of people's minds it's like wow look at everything you've done and i've but i've been too busy doing it to even think about it to be honest with you um but that's the way to get better with um any any distance really any distance keep going out and if you do more that, that, I, for marathon training traditionally i always used to do two over distance runs so there'd always be two 28 milers at least in there yeah. so when you drop back to 26 you know that you can do that you've got 28 is well within your compass so 26 definitely is um and a lot of it's about kidology and mindset and uh almost fooling yourself taking yourself to those dark places in training pushing yourself through them so that you know when you come to those dark places in races because you're definitely going to 
it's not like oh blimey oh, right, what am i doing here you know oh, and especially in the desert i mean i, I always used to say you know uh, okay you can train as hard as you like but you really need to be as fit as you can for you i mean i couldn't acclimatize for like 55 degree heat um but you get out there you've got these huge distances huge backpacks huge kind of thumbs anvil to challenge yourself with and all these alien kind of um things that you wouldn't have in normal normal um day-to-day -day life to contest with so you need to be fit um and my mindset it was always just having pushed myself very very hard it's just another way of pushing myself hard it, uh, just they... another kind of atmosphere did the heat shock you when you was out there? What was the main thing that shocked you when you've been out in the desert and you've done these different challenges, these different races? Um, I think that um, uh, the, the, the weight on your back is, is hard to deal with more than anything. You, you're carrying a relatively heavy weight. Um, I never really struggled with the heat, funnily enough. Um, I, I was just, I like to run in the hot weather anyway. Um, people, I, 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 I never, I, I don't really carry water with me when I run. And oh, I know it, I can always get a drink if I need it. There's loads of places I can stop, like churchyards or some of the rented yards that I have for the horses. Um, I like to train on kind of deprivation um, in terms of always little wins for races like in a race I could have some water. I know I should grab a bottle, um, but um, I like to make my training as hard as I can. I can't make it a, a sub three marathon or a sub 245 marathon, but I like to make it as tough as I can to get the most out of it as I can. So on the hot days, I'll always choose to go out at the hottest time of the day and train because that's getting, I'll wear weights, I'll wear a weights vest, I'll wear hand weights, just to make it that bit harder. Um, but I just, the, the sand and, and the pain, the, 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 the way that little things can make a difference, like if you get a tiny blister, the way it can just develop into something awful. I mean, I've seen people in that race that have had to have skin grafts on the undersoles under of their feet when they've returned home. They've got sand in their shoes and it's just taking all the skin off their feet. Um, and I think what, in, whether it be in the desert or whether it be in the North Pole, the... Um, might of mother nature that we have been arousing this kind of we are these horribly infuriating little species of people that keep challenging mother nature and she's like oh go away go away and now how she was at some point going to have the ability to say right if you won't stop i'm going to stop you and um yeah it, it, just the force of of how insignificant i am in those um environments um and how easily you could just be swept away or blown away or just extinguished just by one kind of little splutter from um, this great great earth mother that we've got so yeah that that's basically what is really kind of taken hold you've experienced like the contrast as well of, of weather and um different continents so which one's your favorite i was wondering as well which one's your favorite trail to do i like the desert oh you do i love to okay. be in the desert i love to be in the yeah I, I, um people have asked which is the hardest um you wouldn't survive long in minus 40 or 50 running you you wouldn't it's very that's very dangerous you get survive a little bit longer in the desert than you would at kind of the north pole and antarctica 
Um, was that painful I mean, I remember then? It, was that painful in the like doing those temperatures and hard to keep pushing yourself to to finish? Um, at the North Pole in, in the cold, it wasn't so bad because the the key to running in the cold is to not slow down. If you slow down, you'll get hypothermia. Um, I just set off at a pace that was. I am a pretty good marathon runner in terms of the road, so. For me to be looking at four-hour pace, wherever is slow, so I, I decided that you were going to have to take it very, very carefully, uh, which meant you can't run very fast. Uh, but my not very fast is probably other people's quite fast. Yeah, definitely. So I wasn't going to slow. Uh, <coughs> so I wasn't going to slow down. Um, it, it, I, re I remember at the North Pole once thinking have I got frostbite in my, my big toe? It went norm, it went strange. I, re I remember having to have my headgear cut off me if you wanted to go into a tent because poor old Percy was in my pocket and he had a mint sweet, didn't he? He had a mint sweet and it crumbled. Or either that or he ate it. Um, but it just crumbled. You couldn't carry anything with you at those temperatures. It was like two or three times colder than an industrial freezer. Uh, I think I was just swept away on the magnitude and the surreal nature of what I was, where I was and what I was doing. Totally alone at the North Pole. I remember when the plane left and went back to Long Yerbin to fetch the next set of runners because you can't land a heavy plane on, on the North Pole. It's going to go through like a tsunami. It just like go through and into the Arctic Ocean. And um, I remember just looking around myself and it was the kind of cold I can't even explain and uh, thinking right this is your address from now on fiona Oaks, the north pole this is what you know there's no way of getting back there's no plane there's no way no this is where you're living now you know for however many hours you're there um but yeah um I, to me i like very austere um scenery and just to look out and just see nothing but sand in front of you and behind you and around you and not a soul else is pretty amazing and uh the experiences races like marathon the Sable or At atacama crossings another beautiful race it's, it's the place on the planet to actually look up at the stars it's so clear it's where all the big um, um telescopes are it, amazing amazing places to be skeleton coast in namibia you know that's called the ship's graveyard so you're running along the beach and there are literally shipwrecks all around you or seals it's incredible incredible things that you witnessed while you probably probably you would appreciate it a little bit more if you were trudging along with a giant backpack going oh i hate this yeah I don't, what maybe sign up for this because i am that person who is literally uh in the middle of any old race thinking i am never ever going to do if anyone ever suggests to me any race anywhere else no and then the minute you get across the finish line it's like right where's the next one you know <laughs> but, uh, i'm that person um but yeah the desert is it's just it feels like home to me, going home now, just to, to be there and just experience it all. And I never think about the heat. I don't know whether it doesn't affect me or I don't feel it or I'm just like, there's so many other things to think about. You're not actually thinking, oh, it's hot. And it's a different kind of heat, very much a different kind of heat. Um, I find it very easy to cope with. Um, yeah, so I think the desert's probably my favourite place to be. Okay, yeah, I can't imagine, I don't know, just seems to me like it would be so difficult to get used to the heat but then if i i mean the choices between that and the minus 40 i think i would have to choose the desert as well i can't imagine it but, um i just want yeah. to say 
Um, minus 40 is just horrendous. You can't bluff it. I mean, it, it, you can't even... I mean, one guy went, tried to go to the toilet on the course and had a week. And um, it's like freezing when it comes out. When he tried <laughs> to get moved again, That's he was nuts. like... In, yeah, he was in this kind of state suit of armour, kind of um, pseudo suit of armour, because all his clothes had frozen in that instance and he couldn't move. Um, it's very, very brutal. Whereas, But then again, in the tent, sometimes on the long stage, when you're finishing, you've got the next day free, the heat inside the tents, when you're just laying there with no food and you're very, very depleted of energy and you're starting to really, really feel it, your tummy's all over the place and you're laying there and like, you can't even get up to go walk across the sand because it's just so hot. You just, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty um, awe-inspiring uh, stuff. But um, yeah, probably the heat over the cold any, for me. Yeah, when you put it like that, there's so many different things that as the person who's hearing the story, there's little details that you don't even think about. You're hearing the heat and the distance, but like... Um, yeah, that's that's mad. But I just want to say thanks so much for coming on here. I know how busy you are with the animal sanctuary and running and everything that you do. Um, so I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, we just talked as well about um, where we can find you. I think it's oaks.fiona on Instagram. Um, you've got Fiona Oaks yeah. Foundation as well, is it? Um, yeah, yeah, it's... It's, it's actually on Facebook, it's at Fiona Oaks. At Fiona Oaks. At Oaks.Fiona. Or Fiona at TowerHillStables.com. And people, can they help you with the animal sanctuary and things like that if they're interested in, um, you know, trying to donate and support? Yeah, your yeah, journey? yeah. Either on the Fiona Oaks page or on my sanctuary page at Tower Hill Stables. Um, and yeah, any any help is more than welcome, whether it's just a like or a share or a, a fundraising idea or anything. It really is. I mean, it's very, very difficult now. I mean, when you are a charity and... Um, obviously with the covid and the way that that's impacting people now it's starting to impact people it's a massively scary time because um the animals here they they've got nowhere else to go that's why they're here in the first place and keeping this lot going is um it's a challenge it's i, I i'm up for any amount of work but sometimes the worry of the future can be um yeah can be what really gets me down because um I'm not bothered about myself at all, but for the animals, and it's it's very very challenging times, yeah. as it is for everyone. Um, so um, any donations or anything, it could even buy a copy of my book. And Percy could even sign it if you really really it would get sticky paws all over it or whatever he does. But um, yeah, or download the um, the film or anything. Any you know, it'd be great. And just great to hear from you. And I, I am delighted that you asked me to be on i hope i'm rattled on forever and ever and ever and if i can help anyone i'm not a professional coach i can only tell people what i've done um always happy to chat with people and you know encourage them on their way whatever their goals might be uh, because actually we're all in it together um and you know the funny thing is with um running people say oh you know about racing a marathon and i'm going what racing a marathon you've raced loads of marathons can I just say I don't think I've ever raced a marathon. I mean, yeah. the marathon is the distance and the personal challenge. I don't think I've ever been in a marathon that's like, oh, she's going a bit quick. I better run faster than her. You know, it's not a race. It's kind of just a personal 
challenge to yourself and unless they're like Hendrik Ramala who used to like do like off and back and off and back only the very very top runners are ever going to race in a marathon it's just about getting through and kind of beating the distance and coming away in, in, in one piece so um it's the same for us all so if I can be of any assistance sometimes I remember when I spent a lot of time with Harley Gabbard Lassie um it was so refreshing and inspirational for me to hear and motivational that he went through as well he didn't want to get up at five in the morning and train and then go and do a full day's business and then train again in the evening but and he didn't enjoy it and he's like oh but you're Harley Gabbard Lassie you know and it's the same for us all we're all just identical and you know uh, some might just love to to get out there and run all the time but we all have our down days so it's up to each other to to kind of get each other through it so if I can be of any assistance then you know where I am and I'll always reply. That's amazing yeah you got straight back to me um and you know appreciate all this adv the advice that you've given me as well and just the the story it's really inspiring for a number of reasons one being the fact what you're doing with the animal sanctuary and um sort of message for veganism but also the stuff we said you're no nonsense going out there and showing people what you can do um, and you had a lot to overcome as well uh, which we yeah. talked about so really appreciate it so i just urge everyone well, listening to to check out your social media and donate and get the book i'll be getting the book so and of course thanks to percy <laughs> how can i forget from <laughs> there he would have gone mad if you had <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> I really appreciate it, Fiona. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks uh, so much. Bye bye.